today's episode and you would like to listen to previous episodes you can download all the episodes on evolutionary.org forward slash podcast i'm going to start off the top of this episode with an interesting fact did you know that all turkey bought at the grocery store is raised through artificial insemination we have genetically modified the turkey so much that they actually cannot mate physically anymore because their breasts are too big I did not know that. That's a good yeah. but it's not it's not surprising. It's not surprising at all. That's I did I learned that over Christmas. My sister's in vet school and they actually have someone on turkey farms whose job is semen sucker, who literally sucks the semen out of the male turkeys and then impregnates the female turkeys with it. Yeah, so that's your fact of the day. I think uh I think good thing we're doing this after new year's so all of your thanksgiving dinners aren't as ruined um so anyways joining us today is andrew silito andrew you are in england tell us a little bit about yourself uh yeah so based in england uh, i live in a small town uh, called tunbridge wells which is about five forty-five minutes southeast of london uh so it's a commuter town a lot of people uh, commute into london to work i spend most of my time with clients in in london um but yeah so grew up in tunbridge wells i I grew up in a bakery. My father had a bakery, and uh, that was kind of what I was always always set up to do, which I, I talk about a lot in my talks and my, my book, um, and how that changed and how he changed career and how it went from there. Um, I grew up playing street hockey as well, so I was a, that was my thing growing up as a kid, uh, which seems like an, an obvious thing. I think in America, most kids might grow up playing street hockey or ice hockey, uh, but when you live in a small town called Tunbridge Wells, it's unusual, um, but my mum brought me home a stick and I had a, managed to form some sort of career playing, uh, played in Canada, played in the California, and then um, decided I should probably get a, a proper job and sold out, got a suit, worked in the corporate world for a bit. And, uh, and then in 2007, just to, really through an opportunity, uh, an old friend, an old school friend of mine said, why don't you get into coaching, you've got a sports background, You've got a sales and management background. Why don't you put those two together and start consulting in businesses? And that's really how I became a business psychologist. I ended up studying a master's in uh, organizational change and going into organizations and uh, working with business leaders, helping them create a high-performance culture. Using a lot of sports analogies, you know, how to get the locker room spirit right uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, and what I found over time of working with business owners and business leaders that uh, I started to notice that they had these big goals uh, to build big businesses and teams and make lots of money. But over a period of time of working with them, I noticed that their health was deteriorating, they're becoming more stressed. And um, not only that, their relationships as well, they'd often talk about their relationships becoming dysfunctional. Uh, and actually a lot of people in my career, consultants, were also talking about how they were spending a lot of time on the road and not having time with their family and there was some crazy statistic I heard where business consultants that are, were traveling a lot, around 80% of them were getting divorced. And I thought, shit, you know, I'm on that same trajectory. So I, I need to uh, 
<laughs> to manage that. So that, that kind of caught up with me myself and, and even my health. So I was starting to really struggle with my own health, uh, spend a lot of time on the road, eating packaged sandwiches and, you know, hotel food. And um, so I was kind of not only noticing it in my clients, but I was starting to experience it myself. And, 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 and then about two years ago, I started to think more seriously about how I was going to look after myself um, first. And then how could I use some of the principles and things that I learned uh, to, to simplify uh, people's lifestyles when it comes to um, health and um, being productive and managing their relationships. So uh, this year, well, last year, I started writing a book called The Four Keys. It's my second book. And um, The Four Keys are business, body, relationships, mindset. They're really helping business owners and leaders just think about how they can bring some balance back into their lives across these four areas. Uh, and I started a mastermind. It just kind of went from there. It was really just like a sideline thing I was doing. Uh, I had a group of people, but then people started talking about it. And that's what prompted me to write the book about, you know, and, and my own experience. And that's where I am today. So I, uh, you know, feeling very honored to be on your show and an opportunity to kind of talk about all of that. Uh, interested to hear what you're kind of. Well, I, I have. One of the things, though, like you brung up was uh, how men seem to be poor multitaskers, it seems like. And that's the thing I've noticed in my life. Women are much better at multitasking. Like men, you know, if you want to focus 100% on your career, your relationship's going to suffer. If you want to focus 100% on getting laid, you're not going to make money. And I see this all the time. You know, um, you know I work for a company that had 55 people. And mm -hmm. you had 10 guys, their life was... I need to get laid tonight. I need to get laid tonight. And they never made it. You had 10 guys who, you know, their goal was, you know, my wife's nagging me every day. So I got to deal with my, I got two teenage daughters who are pain in the ass. And, and then you had those handful of guys, you know, that said, you know what, I want to get rich. I want to become a millionaire, mm -hmm. you know, and they went and became very wealthy people. And, you know, so it really depends on like the multitasking thing in the military too. One of the things the military teaches people is they'll actually put men in certain jobs where they don't have to multitask and they'll make the women in the military multitask job. So is that kind of part of it? Is that true that men can't multitask or is that just, you know, uh, some like, like a myth? Yeah. Well, I, I, I would go with the, the idea it's a myth and even for women to a certain extent. I mean, I think it's, uh, I, my understanding is that scientifically it's, you know, it's impossible to multitask uh, and it slows us down. Um, so what my view is, it's not, it's less about, I use the word balance because everyone understands it, but actually I, I, I talk about just doing the work. If you want a, a good business, strong business, you have to do the work. If you want a good relationship with your partner and your kids, you have to put some effort in, you have to plan ahead. Uh, if you want a, a strong, healthy, fit body, uh, and be disease-free, they're going to have to do, do something about it. And if you want a strong mindset, then you're going to have to practice some things daily to do that. So for me, it's, it's just about doing it, taking action, versus uh, kind of spinning these, these plates. It's just about putting some effort in. And I think sometimes some things have to be, you know, there's a bit of sacrifice here and there, uh, something you have to give. But what was interesting for me when we started the Mastermind back in 2017 is that I had this group of people, it was about 25 people, and my, my business psychology happened was always, hey, you guys want some 
do you want me to run a, a, a workshop on how to structure business, improve processes? Do you want me to talk about sales and winning new clients and stuff like that? And they got so into the four keys by that point that they were saying, you know what? We've realized that if we just take care of our body, our relationship and our mindset, the business is literally taking care of itself. Now, they obviously have to put effort in, but they were getting up daily, feeling more focused, more productive. Um, and probably, you know, going back to your point, having a, a, just a, a much more successful way of, of uh, I'll use the word loosely, the term, but multitasking. They were just finding it more effortless. Um, you know, you've got to remember, a lot of my clients aren't, they're not fitness fanatics. They're not, um, some of them just found that over kind of some sort of ins quite insidious, you know, way of eating and that it's, they just developed uh, what they've just uh, assumed as a, as a middle-aged spread and they've kind of accepted it, uh, but now realizing it doesn't have to be that way. So my, my, my goal was just to try and help people make it simple. Um, you don't have to be a chronic trainer. You don't have to do a triathlon. You don't have to uh, be in the gym every single day to just make some, some positive changes. Um, and, uh, and, I, and even I've had to adopt that. You know, I come from a sports background where if I took a day off training, I think I'd failed. Um, and actually, I'm feeling better, stronger. My training's better, more effective through just, take, just learning to relax and having some headspace. Andrew, do you have a quantitative number on how many hours per week is productive to work on your business? Um, a good analogy is working out, right? As humans, mm -hmm. we like to think the more we put in, the better. So exercising yeah. one day per week, is exercising two days per week better than that? Yeah, absolutely. Three days per week, absolutely. But if you start exercising, you know, let's say six hours a day, seven days a week, you actually mm -hmm. get to a point of diminishing returns that becomes counterproductive. I'm assuming yep. business, there becomes the same point where if you try to, you know, go that 60, 70, 80, 90 hours per week number, you're yep. getting negative returns. Have you found like a, a, a number or like a range that generally works best for people? Uh, it's a really good, good point. And I, I don't know if there's a, if there's a range, but I, what I do know is that people can, can be far more effective having a very focused, uh, attention between 8 a.m. and 12, 12 p.m. Now, some people might argue, well, I'm a night owl. I just work better at night. I'm, I'm on the fence a little bit with that. My, the majority of people that have really moved their business forward, they have been aggressive over 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. The feedback is always the same. It's what I do between 8 and 12 on a Monday morning is really what sets me up. Um, and then how I do that consistently. So it's, I, th I think it's, a little more complex than saying, well, if you, if you just, if you're really productive for 40 hours a week, um, then you'll be more, more effective than say putting in 80 hours. I think, I think it's, it's what topics I choose, how my objectives are really clear, how aligned they are to my purpose, how energized I feel about my work. Um, so I, I, th I think for me, it's, it's, it's choosing the, the time of day when you're most optimal focus on the objectives that are going to move your business forward faster. So having a very clear vision, you know, it sounds a bit cliche, but you know, a vision is just a dream unless we're taking action daily. I think, I don't know if it's a Buddhist proverb, but they said, if you, if you take care of the minutes, the years take care of themselves. Um, so the really being focused, uh, day to day, um, you know, you can then find yourself taking the afternoon off, you know, picking up the kids from school and not feeling like you're missing out on, on business. You can take some time out. Um, 
you know, the more energized you are, if you're, if you're looking after your body and eating well and, and good nutrition, then you're just going to be more optimal at work. If you're taking clients out every night and boozing it up uh, and getting in late, then it's, it's going to be ineffective. In the same way, it would be for an athlete. Tell us a little bit about the mistakes that you see out there uh, from your clients that come to you that need to be corrected. Give us a couple really, really good um, for our listeners out there who want to improve their life, want to be more successful, want to be better yeah. with business, with their fitness, whatever. What are some three, you know, two or three tips right off the bat that you notice that people do wrong and maybe that the society tells us is right but is actually wrong. Mm. So, so for me, the, the tips would be uh, to absolutely be clear on, on direction and then making sure that you've got a very clear plan on what you're going to do this week. This is obvious stuff. Uh, what I find that people are doing wrong, and I think this is something that I've noticed um, in the last year, is that people are forgetting to reinvest in their business. So the, there are people that I know that have they started the business in 2010, for example, and it might be their first business. They've not experienced the crash of 2008. They've not experienced the 90s, you know, where businesses really struggled and, uh, you know, either went bust or, or had to, you know, take the kids out of private school and get rid of the lease on the Range Rover and all that kind of stuff and downsize. Uh, they've not experienced that. So when they say to me, oh, I started my business in 2010, and we just grown year on year. Um, well, I'm like, well, if you didn't grow in the last eight years, then, then your business would suck, you know, because the, the economy's grown. Um, so what happens is that they end up, you know, getting a bigger house, they put the kids into private school, they're, they're doing really well, and they don't, they're not really anticipating that the cycle um, that is inevitable for any business owner. Um, so the biggest problem that uh, I see is, people stop reinvesting in their business. Um, they want to spend the money that they've got. They literally, metaphorically speaking, getting fat on the profit, um, which is gonna, the, the, when, when there is a credit crunch or some kind of crisis, financial cycle, um, they're not gonna have that agility or the money to reinvest again in their business and, and they will struggle. Sounds like, those, sounds like relationships yeah. too. You gotta keep reinvesting in your relationship if you're in a marriage. 100%. How would you do that? Give us some tips on that. Like, give us an example of reinvesting in a marriage. Could it be, um, you know, like taking the one, you know, the, the the woman out to some special three day weekend somewhere as a surprise? What what's some ideas yeah, for that? I, I well, yeah, absolutely. Go on, go on, Trevor. Let Let's Sorry. say you've been married to this woman, you know, ten years or whatever, right? And mm -hmm. you want to surprise her. So you say, like, let's say she shows up Friday night. You say, hey, pack your bags. You're leaving for Paris, you know, tomorrow morning. Yeah. That could backfire in a lot of ways, right? So what Steve said, you know, like, let's say you plan a surprise getaway for a weekend or something like that. How's the smart way to do that? Because I could see uh, something with the best intentions actually ends up being a fight. Because, you know, she could be like, what are you talking about? I've got a meeting Monday I can't miss. I've got this, like... I can't believe you booked this without even consulting me. And she gets mad when you were trying to surprise her and mm -hmm. express chivalry. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on the, the relationship and the, the dynamic, you know, some, some partners will enjoy the surprise and the element of that because their lifestyle leads to it. You know, if it's, if your partner is 
also in a role and got lots of responsibilities, then the other person would need to think about how they let the company know and make sure it's all in place. Um, if you're a team, you know, you have that more of a sort of team relationship than, than working on those objectives and, and planning ahead. My, my experience, and I can only go on my own experience, is that those surprises don't necessarily work for me. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've been very open in my book that, that I did neglect all of that, that I didn't. Um, I, was, I started my business in 2012. <clears throat> uh, I had a, uh, an older daughter. My wife was a stepmom. She was looking after my daughter when I was going away. And I, I wasn't proactive. I wasn't thinking ahead and thinking, right, you know, my, my, my wife's been looking after my daughter whilst I've been away. Um, and I didn't think about planning that weekend, just sort of just, just, just in cruise control. Before you know it, one year passes, two year passes. So I think you know it's hugely important to to plan those date nights. So it's it's hugely important to make sure that we're you know sitting down and and, and planning some time, whether it's a a week off and and because for whatever reason financially we're just going to stay at home and just enjoy each other's company, no work, no devices, or we're going to take off and, and go and have a holiday, whatever you know you're able to do. But it's just that proactive. It's just stopping, and that's why. The mindset key is important because it's just about slowing down to speed up. Um, so the point about reinvesting in a relationship is just as important. And that, that's my point earlier is that the people that, have, that I've worked with and coached that have, have all come back and said, reinvesting my relationship, my body and my mindset is, is enabled my business. The business. If I focus just on my business, everything else becomes dysfunctional. So if we can just focus on these other three things, we just have that energy to go into business and absolutely kill it. And I think that's, um, that's, that's kind of a mind shift. It feels a bit counterintuitive maybe for the, the business leader who is out to, 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 to win the business and thinks that they're getting that respect and credibility from their family because they're bringing in the, you know, the money. Um, but actually really all they want is time. It's far let's, more precious. Let's talk about Monday again. Let's talk about setting up your week. So what most people do is they wake up and they check their phone. I was guilty of that. And that's the worst thing to do. Now I don't turn on for an hour. I kind of just practical mindfulness or whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. I kind of just, what are my goals this week? What do I want to accomplish? You know, what's, yep. what's top priority, what's second priority, third priority before I turn on any sort of electronics, you know, I'm kind of, I already got a game plan in my head. Mm -hmm. What do you, recommend, you know, for a business owner who's got a lot going on, he's married, um, he's also into fitness, he's into his training, you know, maybe he's an yep. athlete. How should he set up his week? What should he do on Monday? I think it's, it's very personal. If I was coaching somebody, I would be having a, you know, helping them shape that themselves. Um, but there are some, you know, some people don't like training. So if, if you don't like training, but you recognize the benefits of training and it helps you and it, it uh, helps you become more optimal, then, then get that done and get out of the way. You know, get up, do the, the thing you, you least like the most, and then you're you know, save all the good stuff for, for later. It's a bit like the cherry on the bun analogy. You know, some people just, they want to get into work. They want to check the phone. That's the cherry on the, on the icing. And then they want to do the rest. And then they're left with this dry, dry bun. And for some people, that's the workout. But it never gets done. It gets bumped to the next day. Um, so I always think tackle, you know, I think another saying is eat the, eat, eat the frog first or whatever it is. You know, just deal with that, that, that bigger stuff, the stuff that you don't enjoy the most. Um, get it done and out of the way. Uh, so my clients... Uh, they would, I would always encourage them to structure their day that way. You know, Monday, 
if you really don't like working out, if you, don't, if you, if you think it gets to 8 o'clock in the evening, and oh, I've still got my workout done, just get it done in the morning. Get it done before you go to work. Out the way, go to work feeling great. You know, do something for your family. Um, maybe do the school run or do something that you can do. Uh, put a post-it note, uh, just how you, you know, you're thinking about your, your partner or whatever it is. Um, some of these things that are, we might think about we should, we should do, but it's just taking action on it. And often we just neglect it and then weeks pass. So structure in the week is, you know, that, that would be personal to the, to the individual. Um, but my, my rule of thumb is, is tackle some of the things that you probably enjoy least early on in the week and as early as possible. Steve, you got anything to jump in there? No, go ahead. Go ahead with the next question. I thought that was a really good point. And that's something I've actually practiced myself is that I'm doing a bunch of blood analysis right now at the university. And it's mind-numbingly boring because you're basically taking the, you're taking the blood, you're spinning it so you have the plasma, then you're adding it to the solvents and everything. You're putting it in the machine, you're getting the cholesterol. It's, it's horrible, right? It's, it's mind-numbingly. It's like data entry, basically. Right, so okay. normally what I would do is I would go to the gym before university, get it out of the way. Now, because I love training, I'm saying, no, I go to university, do three hours of this horrible blood analysis, and then I'll reward myself by going to the gym. Yeah, so that delayed gratification, which I think is, is hugely powerful um, when practiced well and consistently. Um, can make life so much easier. You know, I, the amount of times someone will say to me, oh, I, I really want to start writing blogs. You know, I've got to get a blog out. I need to be a thought leader in my industry. Um, but they put it off, put it off, and they leave it until later on in the day. And then the last thing they want to do at, at two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, or six o'clock in the evening, is is do that. You know, just get it done. Get up in the morning and and write the blog. You know, just get it out there, or at least start writing it, uh, and then start to develop yourself as a thought leader in your industry. You know, put a blog out there. Uh, you know, just put yourself out there. Um, so whatever it is that you think is going to move your business forward, often it's those are the things that are neglected. You know, um, we just go straight into doing what we, you know, just business as usual. And that's, I think that's a common problem from entrepreneurs and, and business owners is that they tend to gravitate towards the things that are a little bit easier, a little bit more fun, a bit more interesting. Um, one of the things I often see in business owners and business leaders is doing work that they shouldn't be doing. You know, maybe it's, uh, maybe they, they're getting too involved with clients or, you know, still doing sales roles rather than working on strategy and growing their business. Uh, that is that is a really common problem, and letting go of things, um, so uh, so they can focus on on some of that that heavier lifting. Um, that that that's a real common problem. Letting go. Talk talk to us about social media, Andrew, because that is kind of exactly what you spoke about. You know, it's fun and it's a tool. Don't get me wrong; social media can be a very effective business tool, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I see people spending hours upon hours on Instagram and not getting any monetization out of it. So, mm-hmm. what? Is- thoughts on social media as a whole and how do you set up guidelines boundaries do you recommend doing sponsored posts do you recommend paying for facebook ads things like that what is, what is your thoughts on social media as a whole so my thoughts on social media are go to where your clients are where they're hanging out you know so for some people linkedin can be hugely powerful for others facebook others it's uh it's instagram some of it's it's everything um that that's the first thing I think people kind of gravitate towards the platforms that they like to spend time on themselves and don't really think about where their clients are. So if they're going to monetize it um, or, or turn, turn these 
you know, the, the social media activity into revenue, then they've got to be where their clients are. You're wasting your time on Instagram if, if your clients aren't there. Um, as far as investing in Facebook uh, and ads, that really comes down again to the, to the, to the client. Uh, for me personally, as a business psychologist, I'm dealing with entrepreneurs and business owners and a lot of business leaders. So LinkedIn is perfect for me. Um, Instagram a little bit. I would, I would prefer to, to invest my time in, in LinkedIn than I would in Facebook. Um, I think it leads, lends itself nicely to B2C, you know, consumer, Facebook. And if I was uh, trying to drive um, consumers to my, my online program, then I might invest in ads on, on Facebook. Um, I think if people aren't, and I even I'm a bit behind the curve on this with, with video. I've got some, some videos out there, but I'm not, I've just talked to my coach actually about how I'm going to um, start getting consistent with video. Uh, so I think whatever we're doing, video is, is key and, and putting, you know, authentic, real, honest um, views, opinions of either your sector, your industry, your business, your views of the world, you know, and, uh, and being really honest about it and, and just putting it in places where you think it's going to get heard. I think that if you're not doing that, you're probably going to get left behind. Do you think social media can backfire on a person? And do you think that bad publicity or bad social media, like getting a lot of trolls and stuff, haters, do you think that's good to, uh, for your business? Or do you think that can kind of over long-term hurt your business? And, and, and building on what Steve said, are we at the age now where you need social media? Because, you know, most people, let's say they're opening up a gym, they're opening up a fitness, mm -hmm. they're opening up, you know, a, a donut shop, whatever. The first thing most people do is they open up a Facebook page, they open up an Instagram, they start, you know, a website, things like that. Are we at the day and time now where you need social media? What, do you, what are your thoughts on what Steve said and what I said? So I, I don't think it can necessarily backfire. I think if you're, if you're really passionate about what you do and you believe in something, you're going to get haters. And if you're not getting haters, you're not doing your job right. You know, you're not, uh, you're sitting on the fence. Um, so I think haters are good for business because it shows that you're, you're moving forward and you've got an opinion. Um, I'd rather have uh, eight haters and two people that love me um, and, and would invest money versus kind of just some that are, where it's a bit, bit gray. So I think I wouldn't, if I was as a business owner, as, you know, having a, been a thought leader, certainly don't, if you let haters get in the way, then you're, you're probably going to, you're not going to achieve your, your ultimate goal. That's my belief. Um, quite interesting, you know, for, you know, that we feel obliged to be online. Uh, and I'll give you an example. I do a lot of work with sales, sales companies. And the most successful salespeople that I work with have the biggest phone bills and the most meetings, not the most activity on social media. And I wonder if we've, if people are starting to shift towards social media because it's easier, I can work from my keyboard, I can just put a picture out. But I think the ones that are still, I'm sure Gary V might, I don't know if he'd agree with this, but there's still a sales role involved in growing a business. Um, and that often means getting out and handing out flyers, it means picking up the phone and making calls and speaking to contacts. And um, I remember being petrified when I first started my business. I, I had a very 
loose connection with a guy in Dubai who was uh, heading up uh, like a, a, a leadership development for, for a large organization. I didn't really know him, but I just managed to get his number. And I, I just said, hey, you know, we met at a party a few weeks ago, you know, a, a friend of a friend. And he said, it's just how, you know, how interesting you would phone me. He said, I've got the perfect job for you right now and end up spending a lot of time in the Middle East doing some, some work out there. Um, if I hadn't made that call, then it just wouldn't have happened. But I remember just kind of literally shaking before I made the call because I was like, is this guy going to think I'm crazy for calling him? And I think we all have that. And it's much easier just to put a post on LinkedIn or um, uh, Instagram or social media and, and just see what happens. I think um, those that will shine uh, are still the ones that will have some social, in the world of automation, you know, and so on. Um, I think those that, that have got the, the guts to pick up the phone and speak to someone or go out to network and will be the ones that will will succeed more. So what, what are your That's thoughts? So on, back on an economic topic, you said earlier about uh, business cycles, economic cycles. It seems to be, I guess, in Britain, you guys are more sensitive to that sort of thing. I think in Canada, they're like, where Trevor lives, Trevor's French Canadian. And up there, they're like obsessed over the Canadian dollar. Like if the Canadian dollar gets weak versus the American dollar, they're like all flipping out. Americans don't know anything about currencies because we don't, you know, give a fuck, you know? Like unless we sell shit overseas, like, you yeah. know, we, it doesn't affect us. But like certain countries are different. They're more sensitive to the economic downturns. So what's your sense right now as what's going on? Do you think that we're headed toward, because we've had some, some years of, of pretty steady growth. Do you think the, the economic downturn is coming? And uh, whether it's coming or not, what are some tips you can give to businesses uh, to kind of uh, shield themselves from those downturns? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm not an expert on, on, the, on the financial world. I just know that there will be a downturn. Um, obviously, in the UK, we are experiencing Brexit at the moment. I don't know if that, that kind of news gets across, but the fact that England, uh, sorry, Great Britain could be uh, leaving the EU. Um, still don't know what, what that's going to look like. Uh, but that's definitely affecting the value of the pound. So for me buying or, or you know, investing in, in, in America, my, I'm getting very little against the dollar right now. So it certainly affects anybody in the UK who is, is importing goods from America. We're not getting it at a very good price. Um, I try and I read the news and I just keep an eye on what's going on and um, it's all finger in the air stuff. So I, I don't know what will happen to the dollar. Uh, there is a view that, um, that it could lose some of its value. Um, if you're in the States and you are uh, buying in, in the UK, uh, either the euro or the, or the pound, now would be a good time to, to save up some, some sterling. Um, because I think the, the, I think we will start to benefit. I think that we'll get more dollars for the pound in 2019. Um, so that I think it's uh, it's just dropped recently. I think it's about 1.26 pounds to the 1.26 dollars to the pound, um, which is not great for us. Uh, so I think yeah, that's you know the, the, whether there's a, a downturn in the next year. At the moment, it's all looking quite bullish. Uh, I'm less concerned about 2019 now than I was six months ago. Um, but it always comes back to reinvesting your business. If you're not reinvesting your business, if you're not doing the right marketing, if you're not improving your processes, 
and even reinvesting yourself as a leader, you know, developing, learning new things, staying ahead of the curve. Um, these are the things that are going to get you even through a financial downturn is how do you remain an expert? Uh, and I, what I see is a lot of people that are turning their businesses into very comfortable cash cows, um, just churning over, making good money, um, enjoying the extra holiday per year, enjoying a, perhaps upgrading the lease on their, on their Range Rover or whatever it is, and not really thinking what life could be like in two years' time. Um, so I would, if I was, you know, the guys that I work with, I would be saying, keep investing yourself and developing yourself. Make sure you know what's coming. Technology, you know, the, what the political landscape looks like. And, um, and make sure you continue to reinvest in your business. You know, if you were starting your business today, what would you be doing? You know, if you had one client, how would you treat that client? Um, and then you've got to make sure that you can scale and treat all your clients like that. I agree with everything you so, said, Andrew. I agree with, you know, looking in the future and not looking at tomorrow. Um, one question I have for you is that if you're starting a new business, most businesses lose money the first year, right? That's just, that's the reality of starting a new business. Mm -hmm. When would you say is time to say, hey, this was a bad idea. I'm going to close up shop. Is there a point like when you've, do you give a business two years? Do you give it three years? Like I know this is a case situation, but let's say you want to start yeah. this new business. You think it's a great idea. At what point, and this is hard to do because we all have pride. Do you accept that? Hey, this is a mm -hmm. stupid idea. I'm going to cut my losses and turn away. Yeah. Uh, right. Let me think about that one because typically it takes, it takes three years for a business to get into some sort of cruise control where it is starting to establish itself in the market, make some decent money. We're talking about startups right now but what makes a good idea um there has to be a problem that we're solving and and i often see uh businesses that have got a great idea but really doesn't solve a problem um or maybe they're too early you see that a lot um and, and or maybe that problem just doesn't manifest itself eventually you know that, that three years in the, the, the landscape has changed and their idea it just doesn't serve a purpose so at that point, you've got to say that, that, that what we expected the market to want um, just didn't manifest itself and it's time to, to pull out. If you're in an industry where it's a, it's a good industry, other, people, other businesses are making money in that industry, selling a very similar product, then, and, and, you're not, and the business isn't being successful, then the business has to really look inwards and say, have we got our process in place? Is our branding on point? Are we clear about our objectives? Um, do we have the right type of culture? Are we behaving the right way, whether it's internally, externally with our clients? And have a very good hard look at itself. Because if it's in a good industry that's thriving with a similar product to other companies that are doing well, and you're not doing well, then it's a different, it's a different conversation. You know what I mean? If, you, if you've got a product that's not, just hasn't got traction because it's very new, uh, you know, it's a piece of tech that just for whatever reason, the world changed and that tech wasn't useful, then yeah, there's a time to pull out and change. That's why we have to have uh, hedge our bets. Any startup needs to hedge its bets and think about these focus, but it also needs to think about if this doesn't play out, what have we got as backup? What's uh, the next thing we need to be thinking about? We live in a very, very competitive marketplace nowadays, especially with e-commerce, how it is right now, pretty much anyone can, you know, open up their business, open up mm -hmm. a page within a week, have a Shopify website up and running. Are there any mm -hmm. books, 
um, YouTube people, podcast people that you'd recommend listening to if someone has, you know, an idea for a new business and they want some mm-hmm. steps on how to actually make it a reality? Um, yeah, so I would, first of all, uh, it depends on how the business, the branding, how the business is branded. So is it branded around the individual? So is it the individual going out and being a, a solopreneur or a, um, what uh, Chris Ducker would refer as a youpreneur? Um, he's got a book called Youpreneur. So if, if, the, if someone's going out there and building a personal brand, um, then I think that's different. And, and because of social media, we're in an opportunity, we have an opportunity to do that. Either way, it's a brand. So whether it's a, a large organization or an individual, uh, making sure that there is a clear purpose. So beyond the vision and the objectives and the money it wants to create, you know, what, what's the story behind the business? Why does it exist? And who is it serving? And what is the problem it's serving? Um, and actually, there's some very basic things in around it and how you launch a, a product. Um, but, you know, there are books that are like Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's a good one. It's a bit of a classic, although some of the stuff has been debunked, um, only because he, he, he had a number of businesses that he talked about that were really successful and why some of those businesses have, have actually gone bust since his book. Um, if, uh, you know, there's some great management consulting books out there if it's about structuring a business. Um, you know, there's so much content out there. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I talk about is, is around leadership. So that's kind of an area that I'm most interested in. Um, but I think it, it really depends on, on the type of business they're going to create. Um, my, my view is in such a competitive marketplace is that that, that company has to have a very solid and robust story um, that is the reason why that business exists. And I think there are a lot of companies out there that think they can just put something out like on Shopify, for example, um, but not necessarily engaging with the audience in the right way. What we're seeing are the, the best brands are, are brands that are really engaging with its audience. They know their audience inside out. They know what their customers are. Um, and uh, they're able to, to, to engage on, on just a different level than someone who thinks that they can just set up a Shopify account, put some product out there, um, create some sales funnels and expect money to start pouring in. I think it's, I think we're going to see it's going to require more than that. Do you see Fang taking over the world in the next 10 or 15 years? Do I see what? Sorry? Fang. Fang, the Fang companies. Facebook, Apple, oh, Amazon, yeah, yeah, Netflix, yeah. Google, Alphabet. Yeah. Do you see them taking um, over the world in 10 or 15 years? Because they seem to be acquiring everybody. Like even yeah. Amazon, people that do people not realize Amazon just bought a supermarket chain in the United yeah. States. They're like taking over yeah. everything. And now you can actually order stuff off Amazon, have it delivered to the supermarket, go to the supermarket, buy your groceries on your way out, just open up a locker and grab your Amazon. And if you return something, same thing. So it's like, it just seems like, and then there's drones that are delivering groceries and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. you see them Very like awesome. taking yeah. over the world? Well, I think there's always been companies that taken over the world. You know, and I think it's just an evolution. Uh, so I, I don't fear it. I, uh, I think as long as they are making life good for, for its customer and they're serving the customer well and they're doing it in a sustainable way, um, I think we'll continue to see this you know, an Amazon or we'll continue to see a, uh, a new Apple. I, you know, I, I think these things will, you know, through different cycles. Um, 
So I think they will. I think companies always have done. Um, and they come and go. Uh, again, I think it doesn't matter whether you're a one-man band running a business doing really well or a hugely successful company. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to Apple over the next uh, five to, to seven years. Do you guys have um, – what do you guys use in, in England mostly? iPhones? What kind of uh, phone devices do you guys have? Uh, majority is, is iPhone and Samsung. Um, but I'm very interested to see how, um, and I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but Hawaii uh, as a brand. Are you familiar with that in the States? Mm-mm, Trevor probably Hawaii. knows. I don't know much about oh, geeky stuff. It's similar to Android. It, it basically has all the same specs as Android, but it's about half the price. It's yeah, not as friendly, uh, though. So that's the thing is it's kind of like, like when you buy a Mac, you know you're paying a premium for the actual computer you're getting, but it's very user-friendly. So... Mm-hmm. It's hard to say how it'll take off. Will people pay less for, you know, not having as user-friendly of a software? It's hard to say. Mm. And how are they going to use it? I mean, I, I, I was in Prague for two, two and a half weeks over Christmas. My wife's Czech, and we, were, we spent two and a half weeks there. So it's, a, it's big there. It's growing there. And um, I was just in uh, – one of our friends had a, uh, was using a camera, and the camera was incredible. Like, I have not seen pictures like it on a device – on a, on a phone. So, you know, people, you know, they'll buy a phone because of the camera. So, uh, you know, but it's, it seems like a good brand. They've got a watch, um, got some good investment behind it. So that we want to, to look out for, uh, see what happens. Um, you, you, what, what kind of electronics does a business need to succeed? Like, can you get away with not having an iPhone, just having a flip phone? <laughs> you know, yeah. what? I, I was thinking of, uh, getting a, an old, you know, a Nokia, I think it's the 3210. Do you remember the 6210? I'll tell you, if you have a phone that's not a smartphone, you'll save yourself a lot of time. Because even if you're using Instagram for a business, even if you're using Facebook for a business, you're wasting so much time every time you open up that. If you look at people, they're addicted. If they have literally a minute of spare time, the first thing they do is they open up that phone, they check Instagram, they check Facebook. It's it's insane. Like I don't really use the bus, but if you're on the bus... Oh, Literally, heads everyone is heads down. <laughs> they got their thing on the phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, how many people nearly bump into you every day you walk down the street? Because they just—they're not looking. I mean, I'm literally dodging people as they kind of just walk down the street looking at their phone. I—I'm uh, in the supermarket. And I'm actually looking at my phone, seeing what kind of deals are in the supermarket, and I'm bumping into people. But is that not my yeah, fault? Yeah, yeah. They put the deals yeah, yeah. on the fucking app. I have no choice but to look. I feel like an asshole. But it's yeah. like, that's what they do. Like, it's like, you yeah. can't get away from it. I don't know what I would yeah. do without one, you know? I heard Gary V. Uh, he was at a conference in Poland. Did you see this? Where he, uh, he put a post on LinkedIn about it. And he said that, uh, you know, he was in Poland in a conference. He said, you have this beautiful country. You know, you have beautiful uh, uh, buildings. And he said, I've not seen one of them. He said, Cause, because I'm looking at my phone. And he said, you have all this billboard advertising. And uh, no one's looking at it because they're looking at the phone. Um, I couldn't help thinking, you know, look, mate, you you need to stop looking at your phone and take just take some time and look at the views in Poland. And actually, wasn't it a bit rude to say that to everybody at the conference that I didn't really care about your your beautiful buildings? Um, yeah, I think I think we might see a reversal. I don't know. I don't know if it's past the point of no return. I wonder if people are, will start checking out of it. Uh, we're seeing people certainly check out of Facebook, um, but I think that's for other reasons. Um, but yeah, that addiction, 
that uh, people have to, and even I find myself, you know, I put a post out, oh, I wonder how many, how many likes it's got. And I'm like, that's just my ego, uh, you know, so I need to check in with that a little bit myself. Um, but I'd be, I'm quite interested by the idea of, uh, you know, my contract's coming to the end of my phone. Maybe I'll uh, get myself an old, uh, you know, whatever you call it. I think it's still a digital phone, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, currently reading a, I'm currently reading a book. It's called To Buy or To Not Buy Organic. And it's all about how mainstream corporations now are taking over the organic market. Ten years ago, when you were buying organic, it meant you were buying local sustainable produce. But now the big companies like Nestle are basically buying all the organic farmland and running the same issues with monocultures and things like that. There's been a huge push for people wanting local wanting sustainable, you know, things like farmer's markets. And I think, I think, this, uh, I think this is a niche market. I don't think this applies for everything. I think, you know, the apples and the Amazons are taking over the world in a lot of things, especially when it comes to technology. But when it comes to food, when it comes to maybe like clothing, things like that, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to have a push for people wanting local and sustainable. Because myself, mm -hmm. I actually just bought uh, a community share for a farm. So how that works is, it's a thousand dollar commitment. And then for 20 mm -hmm. weeks, they basically drop off a box of produce at your doorstep that has right. what's seasonal. And things like that are growing all the time. Or, you know, people are going to local farmers, you know, buying half a cow, things like that. So I think, I think if you're creative, there is a push for local and sustainable. Mm -hmm. but you really need to be creative because you're fighting against the mass corporations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, well, we're seeing that you know, happen here. There's a lot of traction. In fact, my brother, he runs a business. He sells um, pate and uh, scotch eggs and uh, uh, pork pies. I don't know if that makes it makes any sense over there, but he, he does really well uh, doing all the markets. So he just moves around the different farm farmers markets. Um, but even there, you've got to stand out. You know, you've got to have a good, good brand. You've got a good personality behind it. Um, but I don't think it's even the, his business that's making it work. I think it's the fact that somebody has organized a farmer's market you know that's that's what's made it work obviously you've got to have people there selling product produce um but yeah i, th I think we're, we're going to see a, a far more conscious uh buyers i think there will be some limitations because people want their devices and their le electronics and their tech when it comes to buying clothes you know i think people asked it thinking twice you know they've seen some of the documentaries um you know and companies like henny's that are you know producing so many uh so much clothing and the impact it has even on health so i think people are we're seeing a lot in scandinavia where uh coming to fighting back and creating sustainable organic uh cotton um and i think yeah we'll see the same for so anything that's to do with health i think people will pay a little extra and um so are you seeing far, are you far more conscious are you seeing that andrew with the younger generation versus the older generation because the older generation you know they seem to not be into this whole organic and, and you know it, it's kind of in the younger generation it's like cool to like buy organic and you know stuff like that do you see that in england because um is that a trend that you're seeing especially with businesses that are run um, by millennials guys like trevor's age versus businesses that are run by like guys in their 60s and 70s who don't know what organic even means yeah, but well, I think some of them have just assumed that, you know, their, their vegetables are healthy, you know, because they're vegetables. So they have perhaps even even thought about some of the pesticides that are being used, uh, um, you know, 
on on this on this uh, on these uh, produce. Um, I don't know if it's an age thing. I, actually, I this is just a sweeping statement. But I I have a daughter. She's 19, and I'm not sure if she's uh, that into that that concerned. I think it's more. I'm seeing it a lot more in the 35 to 45 uh, age category, mainly because they have a bit of uh, liquid cash and um, can can afford it. You know what I mean? What do you think? Is I don't, I don't know. The U.S. might be a little different. Is Britain's economy is a little weird. Like you guys, you know, you guys are totally a little bit different. I think in the United States, maybe we're more wealthy because now, like people Trevor's age, have more money than older people. Like, because their parents yeah. give them money. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. So it's kind of like, uh, okay. yeah, the kids, yeah. like, the kids are like 18, 19, the, kid, the parents hand them a brand new car, the, the parents give them a house, here's, here's right. cash, grandma gives you money, and it wasn't like that. Yeah, we definitely I, have that here. Yeah, we definitely have that here. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the entitled generation, isn't it? Um, but they're also growing up in a generation where, you know, people have some money. You know, we've had a good, good run since 2010. There's some yeah. cash out there. People can afford to have avocado on toast every morning, um, you know. That, that, and if they can't have their avocado, they they feel hard done by. I mean, it's crazy. Um, you know, that's. Uh, I think I think we'll see a shift. I think we just we're just in a different world at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I just it's, these things come and these things come and go. I mean, this is you know, I'm 40, 42, I'm 43 this year, so I've seen a you know several of these iterations um, happen. Um, so I, uh, from a young age, so um, often what changes is the perception of this is, is, is a recession, you know, all of a sudden people come on hard times and um, it's a real thing. I, I think people get lost in the fact that we're making money, the world's always going to be like this, and the reality is it isn't. What comes up must come down. If you look right. at economic, it's boom and bust. That's, that's, that's economy 101. Yeah, but I think yeah. in the United States, we're a lot less sensitive to the boom and bust. That's, that's my point I made earlier. Like, you know, like, mm -hmm. I think in England, you guys are a lot more sensitive to the moves. Like, during the boom and bust here, unless you were, like, in real estate or in the financial sector, you know, you didn't really get affected that much because home prices dip and then they bounce right back up. Now they're right, you know, they bounce. Unless you bought at the top. The only thing is that Trump, he's running the United States like a business. Like he is an economy mm -hmm. president. Mm -hmm. The next president, I really don't think Trump's gonna get in again after all of this bad publicity. Um, who's to say what the next president's gonna do? Mm, who knows, who knows? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't wanna have an opinion on it <laughs> because I don't know enough about it, but I, I wonder if some people might look back fondly of him, I don't know. Um, I'm not a fan on his, his behavior at all. I think he's, you know. Well, we just had an election and he got trounced, so he got yeah. trounced in the election. But let me ask you some fun, some fun <coughs> topics because we don't get very many Brits on. So I got to okay. ask you, sports, do you, do you follow football, American football, or do you follow football with a U only? <laughs> well, football with a U is German. Um, okay. <laughs> fo football for us is what you would call soccer. Yeah. Right? Um, do you know what's interesting? I, I was obsessed with the NFL growing up as a kid. Like oh, I was wow, a okay. Cowboys fan. I don't know why. I think growing up in the 80s, you know, it's, it was about uh, Rocky and, you know, all the American films. And, and NFL was on every Sunday night. So 
you know, I'd watch the Super Bowl. I didn't understand anything about the game. I still don't really understand it. Um, but I, but if I'm in the U.S. and the Super Bowl's on, then it's one of the. It's always a good time. Um, but I'm a I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan, which is the a North London-based team, which is where my family are from. Uh, so I'm, I, we're having a pretty exciting season in the what you call the soccer soccer league. But you know, the NFL is you know it comes to the UK. Uh, a few games. I haven't had a chance to, to see one, but we were thinking of maybe taking some clients uh, to a, to an NFL game one day because uh, maybe later in the year. Are those, take, are those tickets super expensive? Uh, do you know what? I don't know. I don't think they are that expensive. Compared to soccer, like, or compared to, yeah, compared to soccer. I think, I think they're, yeah, I think they're, they're, they're better priced than that, but, um, yeah, no, they're, uh, yeah, they, they're definitely cheaper, but then it depends what seats you have in a soccer game and, and if you're a member of the club, yeah. etc. But, um, yeah, you could pay a lot of money for, uh, for soccer tickets here. So soccer is the, the top sport over there for sure, right? Yes. Soccer, soccer rugby um, are the two, probably two main sports. But, but soccer, you know, football is way ahead of everything else. I mean, it's like a religion here. You know, if you – it's – yeah. I don't know. Trevor, what it, I mean, Trevor's in Canada. They love hockey. You guys aren't in. Yeah, I was gonna say he must be a Canadian fan. I think they're probably one of the most passionate. Yeah, NHL Canada's fans. number one for hockey. Maybe Russia's number two. But you guys don't do hockey, right? Well, I play hockey. I mean, I'm a. Fire. I play ice hockey and uh, not to a high level, but I but I I grew up playing roller hockey and played a lot. I played lived in Canada, lived in Vancouver, so I so I'm unusual in that respect that I I played hockey growing up. But it's definitely a, it's a minority sport here. Okay. Um, having said that, Great Britain are playing in the top pool next this year. So we'll be playing. I think we play. I think we play Canada, maybe Sweden. I don't know, but we're playing in the top eight countries, top twelve countries this year for the first time in twenty years. So, um, but yeah, hockey hockey is a, is a smaller sport here. Um, we have cricket, which is you know mm -hmm. we're very passionate about our cricket right. here. So well, so you're um, like whatever you're. So your sports, you go through like a soccer game and stuff. Do you guys tailgate before the games like we do in America? What does that mean? Like before the game, do you like before, like if the game starts at one o'clock, do you show up at like 10 and drink and, and eat outside the stadium in the parking lot? Like uh, a little party know, just before fight. you go in? Huh? Everybody fights with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> We're not, yeah. That's just, yeah, unfortunately, that, I mean, that is a real thing, but. No, yeah, the, the, the true fans, I mean, I've been to America and I've, I've experienced what sports are like in America. Um, it's not the same in soccer here. You know, you go, to the, you go to the wrong pub and you're lucky to come out alive. You know, the, you, know you go to a bar and, you know, you've got to make sure if, you're, if you come and watch a football game and you're wearing a certain shirt and you walk into the wrong place, um, yeah, you have to be very careful here. Uh, that's okay. not, that's not, not a mistake you want to make. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, by all <laughs> means, people will be in the... They'll be in the pub drinking maybe two or three hours before the game, but they don't allow you to drink alcohol in the game anymore. You can't take, you can't drink beer in a football Cause stadium. Fights? Cause the fights? Because of the fights, yeah, because people start losing their mind. Yeah. O over and, uh, what exactly? O over what? They're fighting over which team they think is better? Yeah, because it. it's, uh, okay. it's like, like a religion. A you know, you, okay. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, people are very passionate about it, yeah. Andrew, where can our listeners find out more about you? Do you have a monthly newsletter or anything like that? Uh, so I have a website. It's uh, andrewsilito.com. Uh, so people can check that out and they'll get a bit of an idea of what I do. And you can sign up to a, um, a blog that, that I write. Um, I would always encourage people, if they're, if they're you know, particularly from a business perspective, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. 
Uh, LinkedIn is uh, a place where I do a lot of my communication and I'm going to be spending a lot more time on LinkedIn this year. Uh, last year, I, I made a commitment um, to post, put a post daily on LinkedIn. Uh, this year, I'm making a commitment to put video out. Uh, so I'm looking to, to do that at least three to four days a week. Um, so that, yeah, I'll be there, you know, Instagram, Andrew Silito, that's S-I-L-L-I-T-O-E, Andrew Silito, Andrew Silito on uh, Instagram, Facebook, you know, uh, just, uh, yeah, be more than happy for people to connect and hear about what you're up to and what you're doing and what, what some of the challenges are, particularly if, if you're, you, you know, you're running a business and you're looking to bring some of that balance into your life, um, then uh, it'd be good to hear your story. Andrew, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I will have all of those links in the show notes. So for our listeners, you can okay. just the show notes and they'll all be there. For your host, yep. Trevor Ritson, for my co-host, Steve Smee, and for our special guest, Andrew Silito. It's been a pleasure. Of Evolutionary Radio. Live your life, look good doing it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>